issues of property. And what about the economy? What is ownership? Is appropriate? Goods. Properties. Commodification. Ownership. Property. Appropriate. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the fourth episode of the Appropriate Podcast, the podcast of the Collaborative Research Center Structural Change of Property. My name is Charlotte Domberg, and I welcome you to the last episode of our mini-series about social rights and property. In this episode, Massimo Del Angelis, who was Professor for Political Economy and Social Change at the University of East London until 2020, will talk about the topic Property, Commons and the Common. Before he starts, Kim Lucht, who works in the subproject Ownership, Inequality and Class Formation in Socio-Ecological Transformation Conflicts, starts off with a little introduction of him. He's the founder of the web journal The Comona and of course author of many publications and to name just the last one, which is especially interesting for our topic tonight is Omnia Sant Comunia on the Commons and Post-Capitalist Transformation where he conceptualized commons as a set of social systems and link them to a strategy for social transformation. And we are very glad to welcome you here tonight and uh, looking forward to your lecture. The stage is yours. <laughs> Thank you. Many, many thanks. Uh, uh, and many thanks to the Research Center on Structural Change of Property for the invitation and and this opportunity, and especially to Silke van Dijk, who asked me what ownership uh, means for the commons. Uh, so she pushed me, uh, starting this reflection, where I'm trying to uh, tie the notion of property, uh, commons, and the common in the singular, and I will explain the difference in light of needs for uh, social change today. My will be a, a, a general discussion, um, try to make sense and orient myself, first of all, among these different definitions. Now, it is uh, patently uh, obvious to me that uh, the excruciating multiple crises of our uh, times, uh, whether they have to do with war, ecological devastation, or socioeconomic uh, deepening injustices, demands a reorganization at all scales of society, of the way we reproduce our lives in common, and with it also transform our own subjectivities. It is also patently obvious to me that this process of post-capitalist transformation of social production necessitates an explosive development and expansion of commons, their articulation into commons ecology, interlinked common ecology, and their intertwining with powerful social movements that seek the, uh, to shift the constraints that contain social production within capitalist institutions, essentially. Uh, by commons, uh, in the plural, I mean uh, those uh, social system of production and reproduction uh, comprising three basic elements, uh, some resources held in common or commons goods, a plurality, a community of commoners who collectively manage 
those resources as well as the whole of internal and external social relations and commoning, the doing in common without which uh, any common system dies. Commoning is the expression of the capacity of social labor to organize itself in ways that are alternative to both hierarchical logic of the state and the dividing and competing logic of the market. And, 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 and in this way is founded on the development and application of alternative measures of things, rationalities and different value practices of production. Now in recent decades, new common system became more visible and innovative across the world in the midst, especially in the midst of mounting social and ecological crisis. Commons channel resources and social energies into processes of collective production and cultures based on alternative value practices. In context-specific ways, commons are participatory and deeply democratic, and their horizon is the welfare of the commoners, social utility and justice, as well as environmental sustainability. The commons uh, functions in both spheres of reproduction and production, even uh, leading to the transformation of businesses, as shown in several cases in manufacturing and services around the world. They are potentially transformative. They offer a model of production which is alternative to capitalist state system, although there is always a danger that uh, these latter systems co-op the commons and shift costs of social reproduction onto them. Now, commons in the plural can also be linked to debates around the notion of the common in the singular. Uh, the commons is in the plural is generally, sorry, the common in the singular is generally understood through two lenses. One, they regarded as a political principle to counter to neoliberalism, like in the case of Dardot and Laval. In this sense, and more generally, the common is understood as a political project. Another approach is to regard the common as a specific mode of production. I've uh, argued elsewhere that uh, these two approaches could be articulated in a virtuous dialogue, since the expansion of uh, specific mode of production presuppose projects, and projects spring out of modes of production. But in this paper, I, however, want to use the term the common in another sense, to indicate the whole of the complex system of social cooperation that articulate singular subject, you and I, daily activity in multiple positions and roles. In this sense, each of us in our daily life face up the common as a condition from a multitude of uh, positions. Uh, we wake up in the morning and we are in a household where we relate in a certain way. We go to, a, uh, to uh, the council to uh, do an ID card and we relate in a different way. We go to work and we are embedded within different circuits. So the common as a condition is a mixed constitution, to borrow from Hart and Negrim, uh, which apply this context in a different uh, sense is a mixed constitution of a variety of different organizing principles, different forms of social cooperation, different modes of production in society, and different forms of property. Hierarchical system 
competing and dividing systems, as well as cooperating, self-governing, and deep democratic system constitute the main bulk of this mixed constitution that emerges out of our complex collective activity, differentiated in a multiple multitude of finalities, of ends, and many forms of organizations. In short, the common is a mixed constitution of commons, in the plural, the state, and capital's principles of social organization, to simplify. This is, however, a mixture hegemonized by the circuits, rationalities, and value practices of capital. So there is a mixture, but there is someone who has got more power. And this way, we tend to identify today social cooperation with capitalism. That's how we call it, in spite of the presence of the other organizing principles of social cooperation. Capital hegemony, in fact, introduces a bias in our commonest condition toward a system of accumulation of private property. It also bends the regulation of social property towards the defense of this system and management of its crisis. And it seeks to constrain common property to the interstices of our common, in the singular, or to subordinate it to capitalist finality of profit and overall growth of the system. This common as condition is readed with many devastating crises the solution of which requires that we attempt to reorganize it and we think about it. This reorganization involves a change in the fundamental relations constituting social cooperation today and thus consequently change in property relations. So in this context, our collective reflection on social change need to address the distinction between these different forms of property as well as their interrelations. In this paper, I offer us a simple comparative analysis of three forms of, of property, namely private property, common property, and Castell's notion of social property. I will do this by using as a comparative rod the property uh, as bundle of right frameworks that was uh, uh, already mentioned by Marcus uh, before. Uh, but this analysis is not carried out simply by uh, highlighting different abstract principles among these forms of, of property, but uh, instead I wish to uh, locate these forms of property in the context of today commons as a condition common as a condition, and in view of the fundamental question of the necessity and urgency of radical social change. Before getting to the comparative analysis uh, of different forms of property, it is uh, worldwide to indicate what do I mean with property? What is my working definition? Property in general in relation to which private, social, and common properties are only particular forms. Property is a general term, we all know, indicating the rules that govern people access to and control of things, whether material or immaterial. My view on property in general goes back to Marx, for whom property is not a thing or a mere condition external to us. Property is fundamentally appropriation. And appropriation is a relationship articulated in two moments, 
One is a relation between society and nature, and the other is a relation internal to society itself, or a set of relations internal to society itself. So Marx makes clear that property developed historically and is not fixed. Following this line then, property as a double movement of appropriation should be understood within the context of the forms of social production. It is an appropriation of the fragments of nature on the part of a subjectivity within and through a specific form of society, Marx says, that is within and through a specific common as, a con as condition. Does the specific historical character of property is linked to the forms taken by social cooperation in its uh, necessary relation and interchange with non-human nature. Social production, any historical or contingent form of social production always involves some form of appropriation. So let's sum up here at the moment before getting into the analysis. Today's form of social cooperation is a misconstitution of different organizing principles of social production. And, and which involve different forms of appropriation or property relation. Whether these are codified in juridical forms or not, that the juridical form is not my concern at the moment. We're talking about brutal appropriation, brutal appropriation or bare appropriation. The particular configuration of the mixed constitution in which capital is hegemonic is the context within which many devastating social and ecological crises are produced. This commonest condition needs to be reorganized. Uh, the hierarchy among priority, therefore, needs to be rearranged. Finality, like economic growth and profit, must climb down and lose their hegemony, while other finality corresponding to other forms of social cooperation must become hegemonic, like social justice, dignity, economic, environmental, ecological sustainability. This reorganization involved a change in fundamental relation constituting social cooperation today and thus consequently change in the property relation. Now, the three main forms of property constituting our common as condition, as I said, are private, social, and common property. That's a simplification, but that's a way we can build an argument. I, I will discuss this uh, while being much conscious of the fact that uh, I'm using big brushes, which do not give much scope for details. Um, I will ask, uh, uh, what is the social meaning of owning? in relation to these three forms of property in the context of the common as a condition. So to do this, as I said, I will use uh, the analytical device, uh, uh, as an analytical device, the idea of property as a bundle of rights, uh, which is a long established metaphor to explain how a property, how property can simulta simultaneously be owned by multiple parties. Uh, so in the context of discussion on the commons, Schlager and Ostrom in an old uh, article used the bundle of right frameworks to identify different stakeholder positions uh, corresponding to the different rights associated with them. They spelled out as owner, proprietors, claimant and authorized user. But my task is, is different. I intend to use the bundle of right framework as a simple analytical device to guide me on the exploration of private, social, and common property regimes and highlight their difference in the way they allocate rights in the context 
of the common as a condition. So let me start with a list of these uh, very briefly here. Uh, already been mentioned, the, 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 the types of rights uh, which are bundled in the notion of the property as bundled framework is uh, access and withdrawal rights, which correspond to the right to uh, enter, uh, access a particular space, for example, or, uh, or withdrawal, the right to obtain a product or resources from uh, uh, whatever entity. Uh, there is management rights, which is the right to regulate in internal use patterns. And this is very crucial, as already mentioned, uh, Marcus, before. And my argument actually goes back to that. And then exclusion rights, which is essentially the right to determine who will have access and withdrawal rights and alienation rights. Now, I will talk mostly about the first three or the first four um, to make my uh, analysis. Now, so let's start with private property. In private property, all the five rights of the bundle of rights are, are, are available to the subjectivity with property title. The social norms that regulate appropriation uh, to through this uh, property form uh, make the subjectivity, whether this is an individual uh, or a corporation enshrined with personhood, makes this uh, individual or, or, or this object the sovereign who, uh, within the limits of the law, can decide all norms internal to the property uh, and legitimately put a keep off sign toward the outside. The subject of private property is the subject of right of access, withdrawal, management, exclusion, and alienation over their own things. Uh, although these, the first four of these can be transferred to other subjects, only here means distinguishing uh, in all these five dimensions from non-owning. It implies the estrangement of the subject's exteriority from any of these rights. Now, a system of social production where this form of property is dominant and hegemonic, like ours, is therefore, as Marx pointed out so poignantly many years ago, the source of human alienation. In the first place, access and withdrawal rights to obtain, to obtain use values from the thing, any form of consumption or use of these things is the sole prerogative of the owner. This is, of course, all fine if uh, at the scale of the individuals and microsocial appropriation uh, of things to meet needs for daily reproduction. But on a completely different scale and finality of appropriations, things are different. Think about how many apartments, houses, and building blocks around the world are kept empty while their owners wait for the house price to rise and speculate on the capital gain while millions live precarious life or are homeless or buildings that uh, could be perfect if converted into public or co cultural educational convivial or reproductive infrastructure and instead left empty for speculation or turned into yet another shopping center now the social alienated alienation imposed uh, by the thick boundaries of private property withdrawal and access rights is very evident. Estrangement from sensuous needs and desire, of social needs and desires, estrangement from opportunities for collective flourishing. And if we scale up even further, is, is there any need to mention the 
horror statistics put forward annually by Oxfam regarding the couple of thousand billionaires owning as private property as much wealth as 4.6 billion people or 60% of the world population. How much estrangement, exploitation and sorrow could be avoided with a little redistribution of that uh, or, or its transformation even better into a different form of property. Then private property grants management rights. And here we are entering the crux of the matter. The management rights that is the right to regulate use patterns and transform the good object of property. This is a fundamental rights and the way it is exercised depend on the finality again of the property owner in a given social context. Ultimately, the exercise of this right passes through what I've called in my book, Omnia Sum Comunia, the measure of things of, of social production. Every form of social cooperation, every form, requires social processes of selection of the what, the when, the why, the where, the who, the how, and the how much of social production. In what I call, in short, the 5W and the 2H of social production. All the possible questions you can imagine. That is what the measure of things has to answer in terms of social production, to be responsible and accountable. In private property, management rights include the right to establish these measure of things of social production, to establish the 5W and 2H of social production, fine-tune to meet the owner's ends. Now, also here, of course, the size of property and its destination makes a difference. Owning a bicycle on one side or owning a factory, a corporation or a platform, an internet platform for pizza delivery or on the other are quite different things. In the first case, the measure of things are limited to taking responsibility for my machine considered uniquely as a use value. Things like, like all in the chain, uh, taking it to the bike shop, adding a light so I can use the machine in security and comfort. But in the case of owning a corporation, the owner of property rights or its delegated managers, it doesn't matter here, has the right to define the measure of things in production. And this is done in the context of a different finality, that is profit making. But profit making occurs in general, generally in a competitive context, which makes it a continuous challenge to, to pursue this pro profit finality. And this implies that the property owners must continuously challenge the measure of things to reduce unit costs and thus try to squeeze out anything possible from workers, communities, and environment. And this ongoing process of adjustment between private producers and market norms, what Marx defined as the capitalist law of value, essentially, that's how I see it, implies that if these management rights of private property are carried out successfully, in quote, for their own ends, they often succeed to shift costs onto people and ecology so as to maximize profit. Now, when the collective producer cannot control the measure 
of things, of their collective endeavor, their social labor, their social cooperation, then they are alienated from the products, from the conditions of production, from each other, from the producers with whom they are cooperating and against whom they are competing. And together with bodily fatigue, they bring home the scars of the sick, uh, perturbation of stress, precarious life, and the lived experience of hierarchy, the boss telling you to speed up, scars that need to be healed by multiform, often unwaged labor of reproduction. Although social movement can be seen as affirming a different type of measures, things, different value practices, the fact that since the beginning of neoliberalism, all indicators point at a worsening of ecological devastation as well as a sharp increase in inequalities imply that the power balance is still heavily tilted toward large property owners. In short, private property owning means to have in the fullest sense, which means to be put in a potential position to exercise a power over and a power to combine, an exercise of power which is negated to all others. So it goes without saying that the larger is the size of property, the larger the appropriation, the larger the social powers granted by private property to a specific subject, and the larger is the negation, the exclusion of all others from such an exercise. A social system that doesn't put a sensible upper limit to private property, to what can be accumulated, is a system that, as Marx indicated, developed the sense of having as the expense of all other physical and intellectual senses. And that's why he advocated for the supersession of private property. And at this stage in our history, we would be happy with just a, a degree, a high degree of supersession of private property, not a, an absolute supersession. Now, within the commonest condition, the hegemony of private property and the systemic drive for its accumulation reproduces, as we know, massive escalating inequality between private property owners and non-owners. Also, the systemic promotion of the restricted sense of having over all other senses imply that the appropriation of fragments of nature in a system of, of social cooperation hegemonized by capital is accompanied by an increase in cost shifting into the environment. Economic growth become necessary not only to feed the thirst of profit of profit, of profit, of property owners locked into systemic competitive battles, but also to assuage the dangers, the dangers that escalating inequality among property and non-property owners give rise to massive social unrest and irreversible desire to change the system of social cooperation. In, in this context, in the 19th century and especially the 20th century, under the impact of working class struggles and the growing threats of political revolution against the dominant system of private property, saw the emergence of a new type of property, which was seen as necessary to assuage the ruling elite's fear of revolution, especially after the Soviet revolution of 1917 sent shockwaves across 
um, the world's ruling elites. And this is documented and argued uh, by many, including myself, but it includes also the position of Castel, Negri, Lazzarato in a recent book. Now, this was social property, a type of property that has been under attack since the emergence of neoliberalism in the, neo in the late 70s, but that from at least the beginning of the 20th century, and especially in the post-World War II era, it was ingrained into the welfare state and integral part of Keynesian policies of full employment. Let's not forget that connection. Now, according to Castell, social property is, uh, quote, the construction of an analogon of private property. In other words, of making available to non-property owners a type of assets that was not to direct the direct pos uh, possession of a private holding or patrimony, but a right of access to collective goods and services which had the social purpose ensuring the security of the members of a modern society and reinforcing their interdependence in such a way that, that they continue to constitute a society. So the point here is really to maintain some sort of such social integrations within the framework, however, of uh, a cap, a, 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 an economy hegemonized by capital. This uh, insecurity reducing social property took many forms, two forms actually. One, uh, the social appropriation of services and collective goods with uh, the nationalization of many industries and services. And the other form of social property is social security, namely the personal appropriation of guaranteed protections such as pension and health services, but also transfers largely guaranteed on the basis of, of, of uh, wage work, whether actual employment or demonstrated commitment to search for employment. Now, in spite of the difference in the variety of national systems that organize social property, all these were part of a common logic, which was, I quote, that of the growing intervention of the social state in its role as an insecurity reducer making social, socially constructed resources available to the greater, greatest number which is at stake. So social property should largely be regarded as part of the wage, especially in this last component, which now would be dispersed, dispersed partially through workers' income, hence uh, could be classified as belonging to the private property of the workers, and partially through social property. We can now refer to this wage, the combined wage, as the social wage. Okay. However, we should not forget that the larger context in which social property has developed is uh, uh, the whole of social cooperation hegemonized by capital, the common as a condition. Uh, within the distributive logic of capitalist society, in the context of a growing economy, the social wage can only grow within limits set by the growth of productivity. And this is an iron law for the capitalist perspective, because any excess, if wages were to grow more than productivity, would jeopardize the distributive share of capitalists and undermine accumulation. This is why in the post-war period, productivity deals between state businesses, business organizations, and trade unions became widespread around the, the world, and especially in the West. And as I have 
argued more than 20 years ago, it was only on the basis of their actual working, the actual working of these productivity deals that Keynesian economists could even imagine through the lenses of their multiplier models to use fiscal policies to regulate as smooth the business cycle. Clearly, productivity deals also marked several lines of exclusion, even in the golden age. For example, in the US, entire sector of society like women, Afro-Americans and public workers who would not, could not have trade unions were in various ways excluded from the deals or at least they were only partially included. In other countries, like in Italy, both union rights and the full implementation of, not full, but some kind of implementation of welfare state reform took many years uh, under mounting pressures of struggles through the 1960s and 70s. All around the world, the season of, of massive social movements in the 60s and 70s saw an advancement of a plurality of demands that opened the gates to vast amount of expenditure from the state, whether in the form of social property to appease different points of struggle or because um, uh, the increased needs for policing and repression. The effect of this was that the social wage grew more than productivity, thus breaking the congruence between the two which was a congruence that was required by the productivity deals within the distributive logic of capitalism. Thus, the uh, fiscal uh, crisis of the state, as O'Connor uh, called it, ushered us into a different phase of, of, of policy and management known as neoliberalism, which I, I'll briefly return to. But let's remember, however, just uh, as a footnote, uh, but an important footnote that it was a brutal dictatorship that first welcomed neoliberal economists from Chicago to experiment their uh, attack on social property on a massive scale. And that was the case of Pinochet in Chile from 73. Now, what rights in the bundle of rights frameworks would be exercised by owners of social property? Owning here means that subjects, generally citizens, which means at the exclusion of non-citizens, for example, many migrants in, in, in Italy do not uh, get any form of assistance or limited form of assistance, have the rights of access and withdrawal of a certain configuration of services and resources, a right granted by the law in the state. The subject of access and withdrawal rights of social properties are, of course, different than the subject who can exercise the right of management of social property. And uh, this is in the hand of the state, which means that it is the state following its political priority in the context of contrasting forces in society pushing for contrasting aims that regulate access and withdrawal rights and exclusion rights. This regulation uh, assumed a broadly universalistic, although the geographically differentiated character in the Keynesian period between the post-war and the late 70s, and an increasingly workfareist and targeted assistant-like character in the neoliberal period. However, it has never 
really being a black and white story. And, uh, and often all depended on the strength of mobilization of society. As illustrated, for example, by a, a, a classic study by Piven and Cloward in 1972 on the, the, welfare, the, the US public welfare system in, in the United States in his book, Regulating the Poor, for, for uh, which, which, in which they find out that this system, the system, the US public welfare system, regulates the poor by enforcing the work system, by excluding potential workers from aid and stigmatizing those who do not accept low wages. The same stigma we can here refer to neoliberalism. And of course, it's, it's, it's a question of degree, but let's not forget the, the commonest condition is always the same, uh, although it's changed in, in its form and impact. The neoliberal period has, of course, intensified the moral and economic campaign against uh, what it defines derogatorily as scroungers and uh, perfected and expanded the workfare model to manage social property in such a uh, in such a way as to increasingly turn it from an instrument to reduce insecurity into an instrument to regulate the wage and intensify labor market competition. All the same, the creeping privatization incurred in many ways in social services like health has increased the cost borne by those who access it, whether in terms of fees that patients have to pay on top of social security contributions like in Italy, or in terms of the increase in the unwaged labor of reproduction necessary to sustain waves of cuts and rationalizations, so-called rationalization. Now, longer waiting lists for an, for an operation or a reduction in public provision of post-surgical care always imply that someone, mostly women, somewhere has to work more to take the brunt of this cut, the cost shifting. Thus, in the neoliberal period, the regulatory role of social property was bent toward assuring the condition of profitability rather than reducing insecurity. This also means that the moral forces of stigmatization have also uh, increased since assistant type or benefit are granted, as Castell wrote, on the basis of the recognition of a deficiency or at any rate of the observation that the individual is unable to fit the common system with the uh, lowering of the universalistic character of social property. Social property does is a far more flowing and ambivalent set of rights than private property, especially if we see it in the context of the governance needs to maintain and promote the hegemony of capital upon the system of social cooperation. So while, prop while private property is a form of appropriation which is congruent with the capitalist hegemonic forces in the common and contributes to its reinforcement, social property is more ambivalent and the character it takes depend more closely on the conditions on the ground, on the balance of forces in society. A social property can be used to manipulate the social body into more capitalist discipline of work, or it could be used to create a condition in, in which people have greater opportunity to escape such a discipline and give them the material and temporal resources to create other social orders, starting, for example, from the places of their reproduction. 
I think that the 1970s have indicated how capitalists and ruling elites are terrified by this later scenario, when the universalist aspect of the welfare state gave more power to the people to refuse capitalist discipline of work. In these times, in those times, a, a existing configuration of social property or the demands for social property uh, has a full grassroots democracy, either as a growth of self-organized autonomous spaces and networks, something that today we call the commons, or as a high capability of social mobilization for a variety of claims. This is the type of grassroots democracy, and that is important to underline in connection to social property, is the kind of social the grassroots democracy that exploded in the 60s and 70s that the trilateral commission lamented as the most important source of the 1970 economic crisis. Yet faced by the variety of social and ecological crises today, I believe grassroots democracy is to be the vital ingredient necessary for a process of transformation of the common. A transformation that reorganizes social cooperation and radically shifts its priority, while at the same time articulating demands of social justice and environmental sustainability. And of course, this has to be seen in a context of, in a framework of degrowth and uh, and uh, and the commodification of life. Now, grassroots democracy is the essential characteristic of common property, to which I now turn. Now, let us begin by saying that by common property, I'm not simply referring to something owned by more than one person or group, like the yard or a pool of a condominium. As a common property here, I'm uniquely referring to the things constituting the pool of resources of a commons. The latter, however, being a autopoietic social system. As we mentioned, the commons as social system, and I explained this, involves not only a pool of resources, but a self-governing community of commoners in a process of doing in common, a doing that is not only generally confined to the decision-making process. Such a commons and social system is autopoietic to the extent it is organizationally closed, organizationally closed, that is closed to the, pertur the perturbation in its patterns of organization coming from the outside. This means that the patterns of organization of this system only result out of the internal relations of components resulting from the network of processes they establish. So in autopoietic system, the, the, the boundaries with the exteriorities are established uniquely by these internal patterns. In an urban, in urban commons, for example, it is the general assembly that, that decide how to relate to the outside. What filtering mechanism to establish and define membership? What goals to pursue? In a condominium, the boundary with the outside is established in a codified manner by the law. Members of the condominium who have a voice to manage, it, to manage its common are only private owners or appointed administrators. In, the, in this sense, condominiums are allopoietic system. They are organizationally open in the sense that the form of their internal organization is decided outside them 
by the law. Paradoxical as it seems, autopoietic or organizationally closed systems are systems potentially open to the outside, while allopoietic or organizationally open systems are actually closed to the outside. Second, in common system, the community of commoners is not only the community of decision makers, but also generally overlap with the community of users and doers. In condominium, the communities of decision makers doesn't generally correspond or overlap with the communities of doers, which generally are hired hands. So from the very start and uh, common property has a different texture and orientation to either private or social property. The subject of common property rights is always a plurality, which is self-governing. Also, unlike the subject of private property, who are operating in a system of social cooperation that reinforces and reproduces private property rights, the subject of common property generally live and operate in a world in which the commons and their deep democratic institutions are subordinated to both state hierarchies and market competitions. They are marginal. Thus, the subject of common property form a self-governing plurality, often operating in an alien context. This means that common property often emerge as a contested claim of ownership, rather than only as an actually codified right. For example, occupation of empty buildings by communities who use it and manage it for social purposes are claims of common property with the con within the context of the common. On the, on, at the same time, unlike the subject of social property, the subject of common property are not an aggregate, or, or the whole of citizens, a mass whose rights and entitlement uh, can selectively change depending on the regulatory priorities of the state where wishing to preserve in a given context uh, that system of social cooperation we call capitalism, as we see in the 70s. Rather, the, the subjects of common property are part of a web of relations that they themselves establish within the commons and with the plurality system that are outside them. Also, the greater the extent to which this plurality is internally differentiated, the greater the challenge, but also the potential transformative power of commons property. So according to Ostrom, Eleanor Ostrom, to be in presence of a common property, a plurality at least must, must exercise two rights within the property as bundle rights frameworks, the right of exclusion and the right of management. The right of exclusion is, of course, the right to set boundaries and their specific filtering specification. This implies that, in principle, a commons, if so the plurality decides, could span from a very close community, think of a gated community or a condominium, to a very open one, identified as open access. Now, Neither of these extreme cases, I think, captures the problematic of common property. Its transformative potential lies in between these two extremes. In the first case, 
the first case resemble the case of the closed gated community resemble very much the case of private property in which a plurality substitute an individuality to the whole utter exclusion of all other pluralities. Also the plurality of a gated community or a condominium rests on a common decision-making process, but these decisions do not usually outflow into a full process of commoning, which is crucial in the definition of the sense of owning in common property. On the other extreme, we encounter on uh, Gareth Harden, Harden tragedy of the commons argument, conflating common property with open access. According to this argument, if a material resource is held in common and each of the members act as a self-interested maximizer of individual utility, then the resource will be depleted. Harding suggests that this could be avoided with the obliteration of the common property by either introducing individual private property rights or having the authority of state to come and decide for the commoners who has to access and at what degree this common this, 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 this resource. Now, Ostrom demonstrated how rules of access compatible with sustainability of the resources are instead set in place by the community of commoners who engage and communicate with one another and who therefore can set limits to individual appropriation of resources to maintain and safeguard the common resource for themselves and future generation, especially if they tie their survival to these resources. Now, although empirically we can witness cases of uh, common property that span from closure to complete openness, the relevant situated question that a plurality should ask oneself is what is the role that boundaries of the commons have, have in allowing not only the common resources, sustainability and reproduction, but also at the same time fueling social transformation, the transformation in the commons exteriority. In this latter case, the character of the commons as threshold spaces, like uh, Stavros Stravridis wrote in his book in 2016, become important. Uh, that is, threshold spaces, that is, spaces that both bound the interiority of the commons, but also connect with the exteriority. Spaces that both separate and connect. Thus, in many cases of emergent urban commons, the relationship between inside and outside the boundaries are dynamic, engaging, and flickering, and an ongoing exchange and flow between users, those with access and withdrawal rights, and managing communities, which are more permanently located in the commons, uh, with with often ongoing interchange between the two and no codified region boundaries between the two. Often in urban commons, any user can participate and become active in a managing community. And those which have historically participated in the managing community can withdraw and become for periods users. This implies the creation of a plural subject in which the role is not rigidly codified and precisely for this reason, mutual recognition between the two positions is facilitated. Uh, second and connected to this first point, what distinguishes common property is the fact that a plurality exercise management rights over commons goods. And this is crucial, absolutely central. 
unlike the case of public goods in which the plurality is largely silent, it is in the public good, it is only a passive user or consumers of these goods. The plurality of the commons is an active and engaged plurality, although the degree of engagement is often highly differentiated within such a plurality as it is normal. But in common property, the plurality develop a voice through these management rights. This voice, and this is to me absolutely essential, has to do with the congruence that is established between the deciding subject and the subjects having to live with those decisions. It is a, a form of collective ownership that takes it upon itself to decide the measure of things within the domain of the commons, the five W's and the two H of social production I mentioned before. And, and since there is by and large a correspondence between the subject comprising the plurality, taking decisions and the subject of labor, of needs and desires upon which those decisions have an effect, this is a plurality that is put in the material condition to overcome its many forms of alienation. Now, material condition doesn't mean that is a necessity that this will happen, but it is put in a material condition to do that. It is a plurality, in other words, that in a given scale and context is put in a condition to exercise, exercise its collective power over its common as a condition to be autopoietic, that is to be able to configure its set, its set of systemic, social, and human relationship through a common reflexive process. In this sense, with reference to the common goods within the commons system, the plurality comes alive as a plurality of commoners by claiming post-capitalist ownership of that good. With reference to the common property, uh, to claim ownership is thus uh, not simply a question of defining property rights in the legal sense. As I wrote in my book, the own here refer not to legal possession, but to the plurality having the power to govern that good and with it to govern the relation with the plurality, within the plurality and to, in relation to other pluralities. A plurality, a plurality that claims ownership to one or more use values is one that in different situation and context, not only employ or access that use value, but that also govern its production or reproduction, its sustainability and development, as well as the relation among the co-producers themselves, the ecosystem and other social systems. So in this way, the plurality shapes a relationship to the good and to the environment within which it is reproduced, while the subject of that plurality govern their relations with one another. As the meaning in English of uh, owning your own action implies, in common property, ownership implies be responsible for action. A plurality that claims ownership to a common good is thus not only one that takes res responsibility for its collective action around that good, but one that also takes responsibility of the social relations 
within the plurality, and it's many outside. So property as a form of appropriation here is congruent with the dimension of accountability. And what comes to mind at this point, what came to mind to me at this point is the notion, notion of care as, uh, as is generally discussed in modern literature, uh, care. Now, if you think about it in a sense, to take care is a form of taking, of appropriating of owning, of property, much aligned with the idea of common property. Ultimately, there are two things that distinguish uh, common property founded on the principle of cares from other forms. One is that the very purpose of care is actualized in the welfare of another. It is, is, is inclusive and not exclusive. Two, that care embed a limit given by the needs and desire of the subject who take care. The subject who takes care also requires to be taken care in multiple ways. The other's welfare can be accomplished only within the limit posed by my welfare. In turn, my welfare can be accomplished only within the limits of other welfare. Care does is a principle that I think should be investigated more uh, in relation to common uh, property. And it's a principle which is founded on communicative dance and deep democracy, which is not bad, not bad principle to put on the basis uh, uh, for a refundation of social production and the reorganization of the commons. This was the keynote of Massimo Del Angelis. It took place at the University of Jena on March 3rd, 2022. The workshop was held as part of the Collaborative Research Center Structural Change of Property. If you want to know more about the topic, tune in to the other episodes of our mini-series on social rights. If you liked the episode, follow us on Spotify and Twitter or visit our website. You can find the links in the show notes. Goodbye and until next time. Diese Podcast-Reihe entsteht im Rahmen des Sonderforschungsbereichs Transregio 294 Strukturwandel des Eigentums und wird gefördert durch die Deutsche Forschungsgemeinschaft DFG unter der Fördernummer TRR 294-1-424-6382267.